passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. We are live with Rewind Dynamite, John Pollock and Wei Ting here with you in the midst of WrestleMania week, as we are going to be discussing AEW Dynamite, which for this Wednesday was, for most, maybe the other show on Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this was certainly a week where I think if I had the option, I would probably would have watched the other show, um, but, you know, I don't think you could have gone wrong with either one. Today. No, no. I think you you had a lot on this show, and I would say well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I think they have really loaded the deck for next week's episode as well. They built mm-hmm. up quite a lot tonight uh, that we will get into. But how are you doing tonight, Way? I'm doing all right. Yeah, not so bad. How about you? Uh, I'm doing okay. I woke up today. Um, last night was a very very difficult evening. Um, it was very minimal sleep, but then today. I woke up and I, I was starting to feel. Remember last week I said I, I was saying in the interview with Alex Patel, I haven't gotten sick all year long, and then today I was starting to feel like a sickness coming on. I was like, I really jinxed myself. I feel I've combated it. I, I'm feeling okay now, but th- this would be the week for me to uh, get sick. Yeah, yeah. With well, hopefully, hopefully you're past it. Um, yeah, um, and any any sort of illness, of course, is you know, not good at any point, but especially now. So let's hope for the best for you. Um, it's, it's, I'm not too concerned. I think, I think all is well, but that's, uh, you're feeling in good spirits and good health. Yeah, I am. Uh, in fact, like they, they have kind of a, you know, like every, every day, the situation with COVID seems to be changing. New rules seem to be implemented all the time in Ontario right now. And, um, I learned this week that I actually might live in a high risk area. And therefore, they might be opening up like vaccinations pretty soon for people, uh, even my age. So, maybe well, congrats, a, congrats for being a, in a high risk area. Exactly. Yeah, maybe a bit of a silver lining there. I mean, we've just been waiting forever for for these types of things. So, uh, I guess I'll update people maybe next week. All right. Well, uh, best of luck with that. Uh, so we are in the the middle of WrestleMania week. We have a lot of shows uh, that have gone up over the last little while. Uh, including a very special roundtable show way that we did on Tuesday, our WrestleMania 37 preview with Dan Lovransky and Jason Agnew. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of feedback to that one. Uh, And thank you everybody who checked out, checked it out and listened to it and sent us some 
good words. Uh, we encourage everybody to check out their coverage this weekend. You know, plenty of options for everybody to choose from, as always, uh, our, our good friends at Sunday night's main event. Yes. So that is, that's up on the site right now. You can check out the, uh, the podcast version, the video version. I was glad that we got to do this show. It was, uh, it was one that, uh, it was, it was a long time to get to. So I'm glad that we were finally able the four of us to all sit down and do a show. I, I did enjoy doing it, even though it'd been quite a long time since the four of us had all chatted. Likewise. Together. Yeah. Likewise. We also have, uh, up today, I put up a bonus show that's for uh, cafe members. Uh, the idea being that, you know, these shows are going to be pretty packed for the rest of the week. So we broke up a bit of the news. So if you want to go uh, check out that on the cafe, it's a short update going through the raw ratings and uh, several other news stories. But I did leave a few things uh, that I want to talk uh, with you about, Way, And I actually don't even know if you got to see any of the Hall of Fame on Tuesday night. Uh, did you get to watch... The 2020 class, the 2021 class, or did you get to see a portion of both, which totaled three hours of speeches? I watched both, both of them. And uh, yeah, I guess we can have a bit of a discussion about it. You know, this is the first time they've kind of done such a truncated, tight format that, um, you know, was obviously not in front of a crowd. And wait a minute, wait a minute. Those jokes were not (laughs) generating real laughter i don't think so john um at least not from home and from what i could gather probably not in attendance too because much like the wrestling they use the canned audio with a guy on with the finger on the trigger cueing the laughter cueing the chants and it just felt incredibly disingenuous and awkward uh the whole production really felt that way because people felt like they had to rehearse their speeches so much and cut them down so much that they mm. ultimately didn't feel very sincere. Well, I mean, some of them felt did feel sincere, but most of them I just felt like were, mm, you know, the soul of a lot of the, the, the speeches that we typically see on these types of events. I felt like it was just really kind of sucked out. And man, you add like fake audience noise on top of it. I, I didn't enjoy the show. I thought it was uh, tough for the three hours because when I, I was done the first one, I was like... I think this is good. Like at 90 minutes, like uh, it was enough. I had the same complaints as you. It was, I can get into wrestling matches in the Thunderdome. To me, it's like the audience in the Thunderdome is not going to prevent me from enjoying a wrestling match. Uh, It's not perfect, but it's not uh, impossible. The speeches to me were tougher, uh, especially when they tried to work in comedy that just, um, did not work like the canned laughter to me was just going too far. And I guess they're trying to replicate and add some humor to these speeches. Like I get it, but with three hours of these, um, to be honest, like part of, I, I used to really enjoy, um, going to the hall of fame because typically you'd get some really great speeches, but I kind of hit my limit with them. It was the year we were in Orlando and you and I were pretty sure I was with you unless you bailed on it, but it was just like, there is so much incredible wrestling that is going on right now for an event that I can now watch on the network. This was like pre network. Like that was how you got to see this. It was either this or the edited version on USA, or it would come out on DVD at some point. So there was, there was an attraction to it. Now there are so many options uh, during WrestleMania week. And it's to me, 
they've kind of taken away like the great speeches on top of it. Eric Bischoff, I think, would have been a phenomenal speech. He had, I mean, he even made light of the fact that he had three minutes to get a three-minute warning uh, tribute in, which was kind of nice. But, like, he didn't even attempt to scratch the surface of his career because how do, how do you even start that in three minutes? And it was, why even have an Eric Bischoff this year when, you know, you want to have people with name recognition that are also very good speakers. And sometimes you don't get both. Sometimes big name, not a great speech deliverer. Eric Bischoff, I think, is someone that people are interested in and is a great natural performer. So I was disappointed in that one. Um, I thought Molly Holly came across as like the most wonderful human being on earth. Uh, the fact that um, she had her limited time of three minutes and used pretty much like the entire time to name off production crew members. I think that that just spoke volumes about uh, th this person and her character that even in the three minutes she had, she spent it, you know, thanking people that you wouldn't know their names uh, readily. And then her, her uh, speech, did, she did a full version of it that they uploaded on the network afterwards. Yeah. And that might be, so that was nice. Free. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, on their YouTube. And in fact, like that was the best speech I heard all night because it felt like what I think the person had originally intended. And I wish, I, I do hope like all the people, all the recipients do take the time to deliver, um, maybe even on their own, shooting it in their own living room, their full speech, just so that we know, you know, like truly what they wanted to say on this night. Really unfortunate we didn't get that on the broadcast. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it was, to, to me, it was just, it was way too long doing the two of them. I just think that you, um, that that part was uh, uh, difficult. And yeah, I don't I, really I, understand the need to, to do the two classes other than maybe just them wanting to somehow categorize, you know, one year on the network, I guess. another year, like it makes no sense to me. I would have rather actually you spread the speeches out to two hours or to three hours just to give everybody their, their due time. But, you know, no matter what, without an audience, something like this really wouldn't work. Um, it affects, you know, all the award shows. Anytime, like, somebody has to, you know, receive an award in the living room, it's really not the same. But I thought they went even a little too overboard with the overproduction on this one. What about accepting the award in your backyard like Ozzy Osbourne did? You could definitely tell who cared about this and who didn't really like some people dressed up for it for, to some people it was the achievement of a lifetime to other other people it was like oh this came in my mail uh thanks guys <laughs> like some people didn't need more than the two minutes and I, it's just like it just tells you how, how much of a bullshit thing the celebrity the wing is most most of the time you know it's just like it's a way to kind of like sh you know, it's their flirtation with celebrity and acknowledgement for people who might have spent like a day with this company somehow getting the same amount of, you know, spotlight as people who've spent their entire career. Um, anyway, I th that really was something they could have done away with. Like, did we really need William Shatner and Ozzy Osbourne this year? What's the, what did yeah, they gain a, from that? I think it's just like they have their... They want to have their celebrity induction every year. And if this year was as simple as, hey, can you just shoot a video for us? Uh, just 60 seconds tops. I'll tell you what's strange is, yeah, like we have to have that. But they also spend time on this legacy wing of like names that I've many of, of which I've never heard of. But like they, they, they do make time every year to acknowledge a great a big list of people who 
you know, by all accounts, actually probably deserved to, to be in something like this. It's like the only little p- kind of point of legitimacy that they decide to actually f- focus time on. And that I don't really understand. Like, who, who is, I'm glad they have it, but like, man, who's, who's picking those names? I think this is, uh, and the names that they put in this year were uh, Ray Stevens, Brickhouse Brown, Dr. Death Steve Williams, uh, Baron Michelle Leone, Gary Hart, Buzz Sawyer, Dick the Bruiser, Pistol Pez Watley, Ethel Johnson, and Paul Bosch. Um, I actually recommend uh, a few years ago, our friend Corey Erdman wrote this great story for Vice on Ethel Johnson, if you want to learn uh, a bit more about her. But I mean, I look at the legacy wing is where they... They want to try and round this out to have um, other historical figures that they're not going to take the time to actually do inductions for. But I remember a few years ago when they put up the announcements for the Legacy Wing, and one of them was Bruiser Brody, and someone like reached out to Barbara Goodish about you know the fact that Brody was going in. News to her, it's like I don't know how much is like really put into this. Like what again? Paul Levesque actually did an interview about this this week, and he's asked about the criteria of the Hall of Fame. And it's like he says, listen, a lot of people throw in ideas. It comes down to Vince. It's looked at like this is an entertainment show that is kind of like uh, that's going to inform a lot of these people that are good speakers that they want to have in. It's like I think everyone understands what this Hall of Fame is. It's a show. And that's why I think I'm going to be more critical of the presentation, because that's what this thing sits upon. And there are fans that look at this very seriously. I will say this, uh, especially with the current generation that have now grown up as this being a part of WrestleMania weekend every year, the performers generally take this one. It, it is pretty serious. Not even like there. It's not a, a sports hall of fame. It's not votes, it, but it is the acknowledgement of the person in Vince McMahon that they are all seeking that, that kind of, you know, acknowledgement from like Vince McMahon is putting a check mark next to your name. And even Rob Van Dam did uh, an interview today or recently and said that the comment he got when he was at the Hall of Fame last week from Vince McMahon that your style helped change the industry like that meant a, an enormous amount to Rob Van Dam. Like this is a guy in Vince McMahon that a lot of these performers like that is the approval they seek. It's it's one man at the end of the day. What you know, whether or not you consider this to be a real Hall of Fame, I always have time to listen to these speeches because definitely, you know, well, no matter what you think about the person's career, this is their last day on the job. This is the 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 big you know uh, speech they give at the end of of, of their career. And not and no Hogan, matter. dude. Hogan's going for another run. He's going to defend that dude. He was Christ. a joke in much. that. It was uh, with the no, belt and everything. I thought he was terrible, to be honest, with oh. his speech. It was like. The worst, like, scripted Hogan that is the typical Hogan we now get on WWE programming. Yeah. But, you know, like, anybody, like, spending their last day on on, on the job that was a very significant part of their life, I want to listen to. Like, Glenn Jacobs, I thought he delivered a very good speech. Very I nice wanted speech. To, I wanted to hear more of it. Unfortunately, for the vast majority, it's like that, that level of authenticity that you usually get, you know, from anybody that, you know, on, on their last day of the job, so to speak. We were robbed of that. For, for much of this. Uh, so yeah, I'll tell you what I really didn't need as well. All the red carpet shit that they were like faking, you know, it was like, they didn't have an audience. So like, what were the, first of all, like, did do you think they like dressed up for anything, but that red carpet, like they probably just put, 
put their suit on, shot that thing on the red carpet, and then went to the back and took it off, right? And secondly, it was just like, they were the most bullshit interviews. Like, they were being asked, you know, say something about the NWO, and I loved the most was MVP? Like Co- Kofi Kingston. Like, oh. being asked about the NWO and him being like, oh, yeah, uh, black and white. Yeah, sure, man. Uh, but what about the Bellas, you know? Like, they're, like, quickly wanting to Did you it. notice how quickly MVP changed the subject when he was asked about the NWO and he shifted focus to JBL? It was super awkward. Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody wants to celebrate. Like, like who were the, what were they thinking asking, you know, asking about the NWO? Um, but, like, all those... All those segments really felt like they were almost like pop quizzes to the to the current roster about how much they knew about anybody that was actually going in there. And some of them had very good things to say. Drew, I thought, had you know some very nice things to say about the Bulldog. But the, a lot of them were just like, you could tell the talent were kind of uncomfortable being in some of those situations. I don't understand cutting time from speeches to make room for that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, certainly. I, th- I think it was... I mean, this this was certainly a year where you were really patching together this this production um, that was at the end of it three hours, but you're still looking at you know so many people that um, I, I think ideally, like if you're looking number one, I think you need to do this in, in front of people. Like that is a necessary for the Hall of Fame. I think also like the sweet spot is maybe five or six people going in and. Like, not everyone is going to be a great orator that is going to be able to deliver a dynamic speech. But I think you need at least two of them every year that are going to be great speeches. You know, Dave Batista will go in, and I'm I'm sure he'll be fine, but he's not the guy I'm looking at either to give, like, a, a dynamic speech that, like, a Ric Flair or Dwayne Johnson is going to deliver. And there's not going to be too many of those. But um, I do think, like, that, that, that should be uh, considered significantly is that... Lesser people going in, but allowing them to have time and certainly relaxing things to a degree. These are all professional performers that can go out. And I do not have any doubt in my mind that Kevin Nash could have spoken for 20 minutes and not needed bullet points uh, to get himself through things. And I understand there's a, a an extreme level of caution that is taken uh, in, in a lot of these, but I do believe that. You can put these performers out, and if nothing else, this these performers can tell stories, and they can be. Th- this could be something that is not a priority WrestleMania week, but something you would at least go out of your way at some point to check out. And they've got a lot of big names in the coming years that they can lean on, like an Undertaker for Dallas next year would make sense. You've always got The Rock. Um, you know, John Cena is now at that stage as well. Um, at some point, like Paul Heyman inducting Brock Lesnar and Brock Lesnar, who again would not be a great speech, but him actually like letting the guard down and and actually you know talking for ten minutes about his career would be engaging stuff. So you do have some of those uh, headliner Triple headliners H. over the next years. Triple H has not gone in on his own, so certainly uh, he is one you can always go to if you need someone for a certain year. Yeah, my. My two other uh, quick notes. Uh, number one, uh, quite the callback to 2003 with Chevelle making a Ooh. roaring return for Kane's video. That was a nice video. Yeah. Then the part that was fascinating, though, was when the the bulldog induction had uh, Harry out there with this bulldog, Buffy. Mm-hmm. And then Buffy starts moving around and Harry is trying to play off of this and just says, hey, you're. You'd think that uh, Jimmy Harder 
Mr. Fuji's here. I was like, has Buffy inherited like the soul of Matilda? These are different dogs. This dog would have no she, she, reference. He, he did say like what she was the the granddaughter of Matilda. Is that not what he said? So t- does the granddaughter of Matilda uh, assume the same uh, rivals it was, that Matilda John, had? It, it was the man's attempt at a joke, and it was met with uproarious laughter. Did you not there, hear You're it? right. It did tear the house down. <laughs> Actually, I thought Molly's line at the beginning about two people having their head shaved at WrestleMania, I think that line would have worked very well with a, with a crowd, mainly because oh, yeah. it came from Holly uh, instead of... Uh, Nonetheless, the, <laughs> the the comedy was tough to come by on this. It was super track. awkward, super awkward, soulless show. But I mean, um, I, like I I do wish like we would be able to get to you know hear some of these full speeches that people are willing to do them. Well, most of them have podcasts, so I'm sure you, they will all promote the the speech WWE didn't want you to hear. Yes. Yes, they can all promote it that way. Uh, one person I could definitely hear do a, a lengthy speech, and he kind of did on uh, Colin Cowherd's podcast today. That is WWE President Nick Khan. I have said it many times. I, I think this guy was just, uh, you, you listen to this guy. This is the person you would put every ounce of faith in when it comes to negotiating your media rights deals for the foreseeable future. Um he is. This was a very interesting podcast. Colin Cowherd was a client of his back when he was still uh, an agent with CAA. So they have a very close relationship. And Nick Khan talked about a lot of interesting subjects in this. He talked about working with Vince McMahon, making it very clear Vince is the one that runs this company and specifying that they are a media company. They are not a wrestling company. Um, he said that Fastlane, they described it as a big success when it came to driving subscribers to Peacock, but they have been asked by Peacock not to disclose those numbers. So Nick Khan is not going to betray that confidence. He said that, you know, in this pandemic era, um, he said, or well, just in general, he does not believe Twitter is the best gauge, uh, that it only represents a small percentage of the population. And that's why they're very much looking forward to crowds coming back and listening to people in the arenas uh, as opposed to Twitter, which I think Twitter can be, um, it can give you indications, but I certainly wouldn't put all of my weight on on Twitter. I, I think that that's a perfectly sound uh, strategy regarding Twitter. And said once the, they come back, you know, that's, it's it's permanent. And there'll be three, three shows a week with Raw, NXT, and SmackDown. Uh, didn't say anything else about touring, just saying that, you know, Raw, NXT, and SmackDown, once they bring fans back, that's uh, going to be what they're going forward with. When it comes to the creative direction, he is not involved with that. He assigned uh, Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard, and Paul Levesque as the people regarding uh, that aspect of the company. And when asked about different geographical areas of the world that they're, they've got their eyes on, uh, mentioned like they have a tremendous following in the Philippines, and that's something that Nick Khan has studied a lot with American entertainment that exports well to the Philippines, and WWE is included, and also specified Mexico. Um, he referred to CMLL and uh, AAA, uh, did not name them, but said that, you know, two uh, smaller groups that work out of there, and 
basically said for them to go there, it would be starting something on their own in Mexico and building it up, I guess, implying like an NXT Mexico. But it certainly seems like Mexico and the Latin America market is uh, very high on their priority list. And, you know, what got a lot of uh, traction today was him stating that Ronda Rousey will return at some point in the future and that Becky Lynch will be coming back in the not too distant future. And, um, I have no knowledge of when Becky is going to be coming back, but I could see her back anytime, like even like just right after Mania, you you would think. I mean, it's a hard question to answer. Um, and he said not too distant future here. So, I mean, that to me sounds like it's, you know, almost imminent. Well, you would know better than me, John. Like, you know, like I know it's like the demands of having a, a newborn while trying to juggle whatever they're juggling granted you know it's it would be a one time a week commitment from her right now it's, but. it's a big difference from the the company well i mean she worked until may last year but i mean the the, the primary uh the majority of her wwe career it's a lot different now if it's only once a week but it's also getting into shape it's you know so many things that we probably don't see beyond that one time a week but you know uh, when did I, when did they have their child december i think something like that yeah well, it's uh, more so interesting the fact that, you know, it was not a maybe. It was Ronda Rousey will return at, at some point. So hmm. that that was notable. And at the end, Colin Coward was asking about how tired are you going to be, Nick, after all of these nights with WrestleMania week coming up? And Nick Khan, who, I mean, my God, you can tell this man has been working with Vince McMahon. He said, if there's one thing no one gives a shit about, it's how tired people are. No one gives a fuck. People sleep. Right. They don't sleep. He was yeah. very adamant about this. No one cares how tired I might be, which I imagine this man is probably exhausted working uh, for this company. But I would definitely recommend this interview. It's about an hour or so in length, and he covered uh, a lot of other non-WWE subjects as well. The recent uh, NFL media rights deals that they completed, where he sees the future of a lot of these um, you know, larger companies. Like He believes that an Amazon or an Apple is eventually going to buy one of these networks outright. And and sees like Amazon is potentially going down down that avenue. But um, I would just say if you are a shareholder, if you were a, a company executive, I don't know how you could not feel completely confident that this guy is the one leading your charge when your next round of TV deals are up. That is negotiating your rights internationally. I mean, this was a fantastic hire by this company. And this interview only, I think, will re- reinforce that for for those that are you know, and someone that to me would be the guy I would be sending out there to be doing these kinds of interviews. He is incredible in these settings. He is uh, as knowledgeable in the media rights world as probably anyone and is, you know, save for a Vince McMahon, which personally, I think Nick Khan is a much better representative of your company to send out there and be doing the media rounds. Um, he's a great ambassador for your company that and is not hiding stuff either. Like he 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 puts out like information here it's not just you know talking in circles and philosophy and stuff stuff like that you get substance out of an interview like this i'll have to check it out so before we go to dynamite just a, a quick glance at thursday this is when the shows really take over in uh tampa 
We've got the GCW shows, the IWTV shows uh, starting. So we've got a whole guide up at postwrestling.com. If you go to the the tab in the top right corner under Mania Week, we've got all of the shows. Postwrestling.com slash Mania. Perfect. Postwrestling.com slash Mania. All of the lists of shows, all of the matches that have been announced. Uh, We've got Family Reunion tomorrow away. Jimmy Lloyd's Degeneration F. Day one of the Acid Cup. And then... Take over, stand and deliver night two. Have you avoided uh, all all takeover talk tonight? I have. Wow. Um, I don't. I don't. I, I, I won't. I won't. I won't go in. I. I. I know all the results, but I, I have not watched the show yet. Okay. Um, I will say for for your benefit, this is not going into the main show itself, but the pre-show had Tony Storm versus Zoe Stark, which had to be booked as a as a joke for a Marvel <laughs> fan. Tony Storm and Zoe Stark, yes. Uh, you know, I think it was bound to happen. Um, I'm, I'm sure it was quite the civil war. The pre-show is all I saw. One of the strongest parts, um, Samoa Joe was sent there to do sit-down interviews with, um, did one with Walter, with Io Shirai, Raquel Gonzalez. He was great. Ooh, um, th- cool. This to me, very reminiscent of the Jim Ross sit-downs on AEW. Very good questions. Um I really like Joe in this role. Uh, he did uh, several of them. Uh, so, um, yeah, that, that was a cool part of the uh, the pre-show. You know, like, the more he... I'm so happy to hear that he's doing well. But, man, the more I feel like the more he does well here, the less chance we might see of him in ring. And, man, I want to see that match. I want to see Joe versus Walter instead of Joe interviewing. But if, you know, I guess one's better than none. I think there's always that time that they will shoot an angle with him i mean it's all it's ultimately the wwe giving him the uh you know the go ahead to do so but i i think he's he's transitioned very well and it's Mm -hmm. um it all comes down to like what what is he looking for in his career at this point maybe this is the transition he's looking for it's a very stable position in the company and could do it for years as well Mm -hmm. So Dynamite, a live show tonight from Daly's Place, and the Inner Circle pull up uh, with several million dollars worth of vehicles. Um, They are rich, yes. And they get out, and this looked like uh, the cover of like a 80s, 80s like CD cover. I guess that's the point. I mean, isn't I think, that whole, like, Jericho's entire shtick is just, like, an 80s glam rock star? Well, tonight he proclaimed they are back in black. Yeah. I think going direct here. Mm-hmm. Hangman Page and Max Caster started off the show. Uh, Caster did a rap called Page a Fading Star Who's Slipping Like Joe Biden on Stairs. And he was about to tell Page to blow him, but Bowens grabbed the mic and said, you can't say that on TV. And then the slime came down. The Braun Strowman, Shane McMahon slime came down. Uh, Blow him like a breathalyzer. Yes. Um, In this, Excalibur brought up the passing of a Jack Veneno, who is um, passed away uh, uh, Tuesday um, at the age of 79. uh, A a giant um, cultural star in the Dominican Republic, uh, best known for beating Ric Flair for the NWA championship in 1982 uh, in a title change that was never recognized by the NWA. But it was uh, notable the fact like AW typically goes out of their way to 
in, to note like wrestling, like significant passings in the industry, much less just the AEW world. Uh, I was glad they, they got this mention in here. So, uh, a decent match here with uh, with Hangman Page. They're, they built up to Bowens uh, grabbing the boombox, and this distracted Page, and it led to him being sent into the post by Caster and then drilled into the guardrail by Bowens. So his shoulder was injured, and was uh, the arm was attacked until he started his comeback. There was a springboard into a clothesline by Page, and then as he teased the dead eye. The boombox is thrown into the ring, and Rick Knox is just staring at this boombox. Like, is there a legitimate reason for this boombox to be here? And then finally, he took the boombox away. But as he's distracted, Max Caster used a chain to deck Page. He missed with the top rope mic drop, and then Page set up for the buckshot lariat. Bowens grabbed the leg. He hit Bowens with a moonsault off the apron, then hit the buckshot in 10 minutes and 4 seconds. So... Hangman Page gets the victory over Max Caster. thought this was a good match. You know, it was a strong, hard-fought win for Page, overcoming of the double team. It felt like this was their attempt at reminding us that he is the number one contender, and they are positioning him next in line against Kenny Omega. Um, he, you know, offense offensively continues to look great, and I think he's just this entire time been on the cusp and ready to be jumped to the main event at any time. And it looks like that time is coming up soon. Yeah. Which seems early to go to Omega and page. Um, but they're also I... like, there's a lot lined up for Kenny Omega. Like they have probably a year's worth of stuff that is all um, like that, that they've set up for him to go in multiple directions. Mox still feel, it feels like he's the, the lingering contender, but Man, they just did such a big match. I can't see them following up with anything for a pay-per-view, at least. So I don't see him being the next challenger at Double or Nothing, uh, and therefore it might be Paige. Which is a long way. We're we're still almost two months until the next pay-per-view. Shivani brought out the, the Death Triangle, all three of them, and next week we're getting Pac and Phoenix challenging the Young Bucks for the tag titles. Wow. Which is going to be an incredible match. Yeah. As this is announced, the Pixies begin. This is the best entrance in wrestling. I'm going to say it every time. Yeah, if it was a cat. I, I, I want to go time. to a house show just for this entrance. Like, this mm -hmm. seems like the coolest entrance to be in a crowd for. It's a great entrance. It's an even better closing theme. Like Yes, they because they, they kind of have to... They come out and they're on the stage and it's like you kind of got to fade it out pretty quick. Like you can only yeah. play it for about 20 seconds. And this is a song you want to let play. It's it's You're right. It's a better closer than it is uh, entrance. And, and like I, I, it's so perfect for a baby face because you're going to want them. You're going to want Orange Cassidy to win every single match just so you can hear this song. So it's uh, the best friends uh, with Chris Statlander now ingrained with the group and on the screen they show footage of Pac beating Orange Cassidy at last year's Revolution, then a beatdown on the subsequent Dynamite, and another attack in May of 2020, and Chuck Taylor stating, we still remember. And Pac tells them to get off of our stage, and Trent just is here to warn them, the boys are back in town, which is quite the line this week, and then noted, we've got an alien now. Which actually, uh, for for our roundtable, 
uh, one of the people there actually does own an alien that we could have had in the shot. He does have an alien, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I, you know, I, I like the confirmation of, of Statlander being a part of this group now. It feels like they are riding off of uh, some great momentum coming off of... Boy, how did they... Like, it's amazing because that entire feud I thought was so bad. It's like one of the worst of this year. But you have such a great match and they come out of it feeling stronger than ever. So just tells you like the value of um, great wrestling and what a great job they all four of them did last week, along with their opponents, of course. So I'm happy to see this Miro thing finally be done. At, at least I hope that this was confirmation of that. And uh, to insert them into this entire thing with the Death Triangle and the Bucks, um, I guess it kind of tells you that the Death Triangle likely aren't winning next week's match. No, probably not. Yeah. Although you could argue that with what the Bucks are doing now, is it so necessary that they even have the tag titles? But should they be dropping the belts while I, I don't see them the doing that? I, I I don't. I'm not expecting a, a title change, but to me, it would. It's not the worst thing, um, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm more so just looking forward to the match. But yeah, me you're too. probably right in the Bucks just keeping them. There was a shot of Mike Tyson, who's uh, back tonight, hanging out with Urban Meyer, the head coach of the Jaguars. So the inner circle come out. They are all baby faces now, as Jericho says, You sound great tonight, Jacksonville. <laughs> a, a, a bad beating will do that to a man. <laughs> you know, like, I, I think the pivot was still consistent enough with the type of character that Jericho was. Jericho was always the type of heel who would come out and, like, bask in the attention right that this audience would give him for the song even as a heel and i think the transition to simply like you know responding now in kind to the audience is still fitting and is still consistent you can have a big ego and still be a baby face that's like every rock star that's out there so he begins to talk and i guess like this was the break point because mid-sentence they cut to break on tsn yeah i don't understand like if there was just an awkward like a missed maybe call to break from the, from the announcers or something, but clearly they were supposed to go to commercial and then there was just no natural break. Yeah. I I'm imagining like there, there was some wacky stuff here. Um, edit editing wise, uh, towards the end of this promo. Uh, and what a promo this was. So the inner circles in the ring and Jericho pretty much had like a 10 minute, uh, monologue pretty much with his backup. It was his answer to MJF's promo from a couple weeks back. Yes, this was him just completely destroying uh, the pinnacle verbally. He said, we're back in black, baby. And after they were given a beatdown by the pineapple, I mean the pinnacle, it was a wake-up call. They had made some bad decisions, and they were, they were apologizing because all those bad decisions were caused by MJF. They were upstanding citizens before MJF had joined them. Uh, They're only apologizing for the last few months. And he refers to MJF throughout this promo as my jerk-off friend, which will be a t-shirt probably by tomorrow. He does admit he is not... Is that one you would wear? No, no. That would probably be right up there with the uh, the Vince Loves... Uh, <laughs> what's the, uh, the DX shirt they put out Vince with him? Vince Loves uh, with a photo of a rooster on it. That was yeah. right. Oh. Now it's now it's Vince loves Peacock. Oh, <laughs> so maybe they could re- they could re- re- reissue yeah, those. It was really ahead of its time, that shirt. Jericho mentions he is not smart at certain things, <laughs> noting high school chemistry and being accused 
of being on dope when in fact he just wasn't smart when it came to chemistry. But he is smart about this business and psychology. Okay. Yeah, I believe that. All right. I think that checks out. Did you do chemistry in high school? I did, yeah. I was not very good at it. I went as far as grade 11 biology. I hated it. I did I I did not get along with the teacher uh who I I definitely had a disdain for. Um and then I stopped science after grade 11. I was like I'm done with this. I'm not going any further. I was the same and I became a podcaster. There you go. Who who are the real winners? Uh so he continues on here. They were always going to turn on MJF, but he ended up being a step ahead of them and outsmarted them. And MJF isn't so smart with spray tan saying when he was out here a few weeks ago, he was more orange than Cassidy with more streaks than inside the toilet bowl that he put his face into. We started a swirly chant says MJF doesn't want to wait to become great. He wants it all now, but he should focus on becoming better than the likes of Peter Avalon and Michael Nakazawa and that wearing a scarf is old, stale, and it sucks. Why are you stealing my shit? Probably, I probably have a clipboard in the back if you need another one of my old gimmicks. And said that I, that you would race to the back after every segment and match to see what the fans had to say. In this business, that's called being a mark. But we're going to change that to you being a max for yourself. And you will never be better than Chris Jericho. And then he just eviscerates every member of the Pinnacle one by one. He calls Tully a third-string member of the Horsemen in between Oli and Paul Roma. FTR completely interchangeable, like the Jonas Brothers, who might make a lot of money, but I don't know which one's which. And he made fun of their names, calling them Axe and Smash. Uh, He says that Sean Spears, his number is in his phone after Spears called him 10 years ago for advice after he was fired by WWE. And said he made a bad decision aligning with MJF, similar to making a bad decision about a blonde mohawk in 2021. And then Wardlow, this is where he was, he was on a roll here, but then he said that Wardlow has a million dollar brain and a 13 cent body. Ugh. Yeah, I kind of screwed that one up. But he was on a roll here. They'll fix it in editing. They could. And then, um, Called him stupid. I was waiting for Braun to run in. And then said that Wardlow has to strip naked to count to 21. Get it? No, I don't get it, dude. I'm going to perfectly be honest with you. Is this a dick joke? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. That's where I assumed it was. Ten fingers, ten toes, and... Oh. Okay. I guess. I guess. Uh, yeah. I thought it was good. I thought it was funny. All right. All right. Well, hey, if it landed with you, I'm uh, hey, I'm the high school chemistry reviewer here. <laughs> and then he ended by saying they're going to form a human centipede with the pinnacle with MJF at the back. Uh, this was much more graphic. And this all leads to the announcement of a blood and guts match happening May 5th at Daly's Place. And before we talk about the blood and guts match, you were watching TSN? Yes, I was, yeah. So they're trying to censor something Jericho is saying, and there's like a a clip, there's like a voiceover, and they totally miss it because instead you just get this voiceover over top Jericho, and then they go back to live Jericho who yells out, shitty. 
What was the voiceover? I couldn't make it out. Dude, I listened several times. I didn't know if it was like an old Jericho line or if it was a completely different voice. It was so bizarre. It was like some of those like made for t- like movies that are uh, reformatted for TV where they yeah. like, replace like shit with like oh. stuff. Only yeah. not like not seamless in the least. It was just really bad this oh, attempt dude, to censor this. I wouldn't I it would be really tough to attempt live, so I, I don't know what happened here. It was definitely a bit strange. It did not take away my enjoyment of this segment though, because I thought no, this, this was a hell of a promo from oh. Chris Jericho. And you know, for those that would like what I liked most is that you know it this was kind of like a rock promo in just like totally running down the heels, but this show was structured. Like the heels were going to get like the last laugh at the end of the night here on Jericho. And you're building up to this but they didn't huge really, match. Though. And you... they didn't get the last laugh though. Uh, I, I guess not. You're right. They got the second to last laugh and then, <laughs> yeah. and then they kind of had to hightail it. You're right. Um, but nonetheless, um, yeah, the blood and guts match, they're going to go ahead with it in Daly's place uh, in four weeks. You know, it's a, it's a concept that, that I think, uh, they, I mean, it the name blood and guts itself just somehow brings me back to like that one week when this whole, like this whole pandemic began. You know, it was like they were building up to that match and I believe they had said any, you know, the next time that they were going to do blood and guts, it would be in New- Newark, New Jersey or, or, or in the place where they were supposed to be. But I guess the timelines being as late as they are, who knows when that'll be. Um, and you have the perfect opportunity right now with a really hot five-on-five faction war. Uh, so I'm happy to see it. I, I can't wait. I thought these promos, and I pair this one directly with the MJF one, they felt like a really incredible first round of just like A-plus material from the two best trash talkers in the game right now. Just going, you needed like, daggers why? from Jericho here to respond. Oh. Like MJF has run him down constantly. That this this to me was not the you know babyface just diminishing the heel. It was like him. It was like these two are going to swing back and forth mm-hmm. nonstop. Um, my only thing was like at the end of this was part of me thinking like the blood and guts is such a perfect match to save, but you have the feud ready made. I would say based on the success of that last pay per view. This would have been a more than satisfying pay-per-view attraction at the end of May. Like this is a hell of a match you're giving away on television. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, like I felt like they were going to go stadium stampede for this instead of blood and guts considering they're probably still going to be in the arena um and maybe you'd want to save blood and guts for a live live setting but you know, at this point who knows when that'll be um yeah, I think that I I I think pay-per-view would have been great for this, but you know, it's, it's like we learned about the last pay per view. Like a big stipulation match is going to draw, and I think this one just the the long wait for this blood and guts match. It's almost become this like this huge heralded match in AEW's history because they couldn't execute it. It was going to be their biggest show ever. Um, just that alone, plus you have this you know feud that that warrants it. This is not the you know it's Hell in a Cell month, and therefore the feud of the month gets to Hell in a Cell. This is a feud that warrants the stip. Well, they must be pretty confident in double or nothing. Do you think they do spring stampede, uh, stadium stampede again for that? Paper? Yeah, um, I think it would be dependent on how much of a crowd is there. 
you know, because that's very much a show, a match that takes place on a screen instead of in an audience. Although they can, of course, uh, do it, you know, switch it up. I I feel like while you're still in this daily daily's place era, this is an opportunity for you to do one of those again. You have a stadium right next door. The moment you start traveling for these shows, you don't really have that opportunity anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's what they built to after Blood and Guts, but Blood and Guts feels like it's a pretty like store like feud culminating type of type of match if we're thinking war games but here it seems like it's being used to start the match start the feud yeah and you're gonna have to like reconfigure the the floor like with the two rings and you know it's like like to be honest like it kind of does make a bit more sense here in that you know to do it at a major arena like that was one of the pitfalls of war games is that you're you're adding this ring that's eliminating like your most expensive seats on the floor mm-hmm. on top of it. So I mean, in this case, um, you know, I I guess they just made a decision. Let's we've got the feud. We can't just wait forever for this. So they had always seemed to peg it for TV, and for some reason they yep that's they true. Committed, yeah. Dasha interviewed Christian Cage, who said last week was a culmination of a year, or sorry, of a year, yes, of working to get back into the ring of what was taken away from him seven years ago. And Kazarian took him into deep water. His lungs were on fire. And then Taz walks in, old friend Taz, who tries to recruit Christian and tells him to sleep on it. Yeah, an interesting um, little angle here. I mean, the double cages. Ooh, maybe swapping one cage for another at this point. Maybe one one cage goes out and another could hint that You're he right. is coming in. You got any more cages? Uh, well, we're going to have two Nicholas. on May 5th. Nicholas, okay. do the triple tier. Okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I think your audience would probably be gone in sixty seconds if you tried that. But uh, oh, maybe maybe I'd love to see that in. face off. Oh, you beat me to it. Oh, that was my next one to go with. Uh, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy against Bear Country. Godzilla versus Kong. Um, I, I thought this was a really great showcase for Bear Country to just be, you know. Um, a fun team for Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy to work off of. Uh, this match was not without some of its hiccups, uh, to say the least. Jungle Boy tried this leaping DDT off the ropes and just nearly lost his footing. Um, JR even uh, did bring up a, a bowling shoe reference at the at the end of this. I would not go that harsh. But um, I did think like uh, Boulder and Bronson, um, this was treated like a big deal for them. And I, I thought they got to shine quite a bit here uh, before it ended where Boulder sent to the floor and then Bronson ate a chokeslam and the standing moonsault from Luchasaurus uh, who pinned him. And that concluded the Godzilla versus Kong match. It was the biggest uh, spotlight that Bear Country has ever had uh, being part of, you know, this Warner Brothers cross-promoted match uh, with with the film that's quite popular right now. And I think by the end, um, they achieved what they needed to by putting them on the map. They're, this is a team that's very much kind of like War Machine. You know, just big dudes are very agile. They stand out in this division, certainly amongst like all these small cruiserweight teams. I look mm-hmm. forward to seeing more of them. And uh, But absolutely, this is probably not not the best effort these four could have had. You know, there were definitely a, a number of... It, it was sloppy at points, yeah. It was a bit of a car crash. Uh, but maybe it fit to the theme of the movie. I haven't seen it, but I hear great things. 
we go inside uh, the the nightmare family, uh, the nightmare factory. Uh, QT Marshall is with Anthony Agogo, Nick Camaroto, and Aaron Solo, and he runs down Cody how he had to play second fiddle to Ted Jr., then hiding behind face paint because he was Dusty's kid. But then he went out onto the indies working with Vanilla Midgets. And he puts over each guy. He says Aaron Solo will never just be known as someone's boyfriend. Calmaroto is more than a body guy. And then Anthony Ogogo takes over saying he's a household name in the UK and he knocks people out for pleasure. And QT ends the promo by saying, Cody, this is my fucking factory. They are, they are getting very close in AEW to the territory that we talked about Monday with like the weed jokes where like I don't take swearing as edgy in any way at all, but I'm fine with it if it's like limited. And it just seems like it is such a go-to in so many promos that it loses its whatever intended impact it's designed to have. It's mitigated because, like, we can drop bitch in every promo and we can drop shit in our promos. And fucking, it's, I don't know. It just, to me, is like, it's a little thing that just seems to be this constant that they go to. And it's just, I don't know. I I don't find the novelty of, like, swearing. It's, to me, like, uh, again, uh, a bygone era where this is, like, these taboo words. It's definitely a crutch, though. I, I will say, I think he, you know, QT needed to end this segment with something emphatic. And I suppose he felt the word fucking would, would have been emphatic. Although I think it would have been just as emphatically if he hadn't said it and just did the paint thing, man, what did, what if, what if the dude missed the paint? Like what if the paint just like spilled on the floor. He really got a good splatter. I thought, uh, Kamaroto on the logo. Um, what, what if he said, I think your reality show is going to suck with our male demographic. <laughs> Way more scaling. You should have ended it with that. Yeah. I fa- actually found QT's delivery uh, a little bit dry, you know, for most of this. Um, I hear a lot of criticisms from people about whether or not he is a big enough star to lead a faction, whether or not he's a, ta- a big enough talent to lead this faction. I've, I, think, I've, I think this guy can probably cut better promos than maybe what we heard here. The lines were great. I just thought the delivery wasn't so great. But I do love how he put enough focus on every single person. And that's what I'm, I'm most excited about for with this faction. You know, yeah. the very unique identities of every single one. I love the line about Aaron Solo not just being someone's boyfriend. We all know what that means. Um, but to me, the star of the segment was Anthony Agogo. He came out here and his charisma was incredibly strong. You know, I, I thought he stood out the most easily of the four here. Like he and and he was the one that was given. Like the others just uh, stood by, but he got the speaking role and and is getting the match next week. So like he mm-hmm. feels to me like Camaroto kind of got the spotlight last week physically, but in this environment, um, yeah, it seemed like Anthony Agogo was and should have been when you're hyping his match for next week. And all of a sudden, like I, I I'm very excited to see what what the the man has not just in the match next week, but more so as a character, as a personality. He sounds great as a heel, and uh, it has me really excited about the entire faction. Do you think he's going to be given the easiest submission finish imaginable? I think so. The Plata. Yes. Shivani brings out Sting. I don't know what was on the agenda for this discussion, but we never got there. Jake Roberts came out, 
I have gone through so many different opinions of Jake Roberts. I'm now at a point where I, taking notes, I enjoy Jake Roberts a lot now. Because oh, I don't yeah. know what the fuck this dude's going to say. What I know it's going to be today? insanity. What did he say? Well, first of all, uh, he got a nice haircut. He did, yes. He tells Sting, shut your hole. Where is your little gerbil friend? <laughs> People say I'm a crazy SOB. And before he could even go on, we didn't even get into hot dogs or anything. Archer comes out and takes the mic away. I was like, ah, come on. We were just getting started with like the gerbils and holes. What, what sort of direction do you think they give Jake before they none, give him a None. Mic? Absolutely none. <laughs> just go, Jake. Archer is sick of the shouldn't, agenda in shouldn't, AEW. Shouldn't Jake be doing commentary on like dark or elevation? Oh man, I would uh, that that would be something. Uh, the play-by-play man would walk off probably. Imagine Paul White and Jake together for two and a half hours. I think it'd be amazing. Archer says that he comes in, he gets pushed to the top, then he gets moved down. He works main events, and then he has and then he disappears. So he's really leaning into like people's criticisms of the character. Sting has paid attention to this and he agrees with Archer. He says, but this should be my interview time. You are a main event guy, Lance. You do main event and then you disappear. I don't understand it. He says that Jake needs to help him channel his energy in the right direction. You could be fighting for the world title again. You've got it in you. Now go do it. And meanwhile, this whole time, we got shots of Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky in the rafters. Though not exactly as menacing as 97 Sting. Nor uh, 2020 Darby Allen. Yeah, and I don't think these two will hang out here for a year. Maybe not. There's a, actually a very good interview I, I linked to in the update today that Mike Johnson did with Tony Khan. And I thought it was... Like, with Tony Khan, it's, you know, you're... I thought this was more of a self-reflective interview of, you know, actually going into things like criticisms people have had of the show and, and different things. He, uh, and he spoke about, you know, trying to, he thought bringing in sting that it wouldn't be that difficult to keep him away from wrestling until the pay-per-view. Like it was only going to be like two months until the pay-per-view and noting that, you know, the crowd was very impatient, uh, of not having Sting do more and comparing it to when they had Sting up in the rafters, like could could WCW have gotten away with that today? Would the would the patience have been there of Sting just being in the rafters week after week and very rarely getting involved physically, much less doing a wrestling match? Which I mean, it's 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 very hard to compare. I I look at it as though it was Sting. It's not so much not wrestling. It was having. Substance on the show. It just seemed like it was he's here and was not really progressing anything in that time. I mean, was was that what that was? The weeks and weeks and weeks of him coming out, being introduced by Tony, and ultimately not saying anything. Was that Tony Khan's version of Sting being up in the rafters? I don't think it was a um, his version of the WCW one. I think he was just comparing it to the two that there was a much longer period of going without Sting wrestling that he thought introducing Sting. And just getting by through appearances would have been enough that for people to wait for the pay-per-view match. Well, for one thing, I mean, that was like the first time we had seen that Sting character. 
And it was completely mysterious because we didn't know what he was about, what he was going to say, what was going on. This we have an idea. And it's more so, I think, you know, more uh, constantly teasing the audience that he will have something to say and ultimately not delivering on that to the point where now it's become a running gag. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, with this, obviously, like there is there appears to be, you know, his his program probably laid out here with this Archer stuff of where it's going to lead to and kind of even hinting at like Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky being involved here, too. So that's what I couldn't really tell at the end of this, because here Sting gives this pep talk almost to Lance Archer, you know, as a mentor. And I couldn't tell if this was just them continuing to build this feud or more. It felt more like to me that they were almost teasing a future team up between the two, perhaps mm-hmm. against Sky and Page. Yeah, that so, could be. Yeah, With Jake is the mastermind. Yeah, I just I don't know. I think Jake could be better served. Maybe Jake with Sky and Page. Um, no. Yeah, Jake is an odd fit anywhere. Team Taz does a promo, starts credits Brian Cage for winning on Dark last night, and then Taz stops Brian from speaking. They start arguing. He calls Ricky Starks an instigator and says that we have an offer on a table for a real blue chipper in Christian. This hot young prospect that we that we're we're gonna draft into the group. I mean, man, look at the. Can you not be a blue chipper but be but be a veteran? What are blue chips? Blue chipper is not reserved for a 47-year-old veteran. That's that's not a term I would necessarily assign here. But but most most sports that use that term don't, you know, aren't pro wrestling. Well, the the definition is a highly valued person, especially an athlete. So I guess there you could put it. But typically blue chipper is immediately followed by the word prospect. A blue chip prospect. Yeah, I, I guess that. he's a blue chip veteran. No, there you go. Yeah. Blue chips are athletes, particularly high school players, targeted for drafting or signing by teams at the college level. Blue chip players are those who have proven themselves to be among the best at their positions in their respective sports and are more sought after and wanted than other players. Do you know who was in the movie Blue Chips? Nick Nolte and Shaquille O'Neal. AEW's own. Yeah. Yes. Dude, that was my ninth birthday party. Blue I chips. Got invite, I got to invite six friends, and my mom took me and my six friends to go watch Blue Chips at the movie theater. Wow, that it was, was not a kid. It was not a kids' movie. I haven't watched it since that that day <laughs> in March of 1993 when I turned nine. It, a very special. Time. I kind of want to go back and watch it now. I don't. I, I I literally don't even remember the premise of the film. Look at it this. It's about a prospect. Oh, it was 94 it came out. 94. So I would have been turning 10. Hey, man, thing... Oh, it cost $35 million to make. I mean, it was a basketball movie. Oh, how how much did it make back? Uh, 26. Uh, so <laughs> there was no blue chips, too. Oh. <laughs> uh, Darby Allen and J.D. Drake for the TNT Championship. We got Cesar Bononi and Ryan Nemeth in Drake's corner. I, I thought J.D. Drake looked very good in this match. I mean, a... Uh, you know, a different style, obviously a very different look, but I thought he gelled very well. And I think there's a commonality here of how many different uh, styles Darby Allen just works around. And I think that there is uh, that connective tissue to a lot of these guys that 
I mean, if you listen to interviews of these new people coming in, whether it's Paul White, whether it's Christian, dude, all these people name drop Darby Allen. That's the guy they want to work with. It's like he seems to be the one that everyone sees. Um, like this guy is a, just a tremendous performer and has turned into a guy that like has become like a ratings draw as well, like for these TNT championship matches. Like I think like this to me is probably among their best created stars that AEW has made purely off of their television. Like, and it's been a great job that they've done with them. Completely agree. Yeah. I mean, I think much of that uh, is AEW's doing, but it's also Darby Allen, of course, you know, and the incredible talent that he had even before coming into this company that was just waiting to be exposed on a national level. Uh, they've done a great job presenting him. And I think this run will hopefully continue that. Sting appeared with the bat to send uh, Ryan Nemeth off into the parking lot. Uh, it's all Drake during the break. Did the spot where he bounced Allen off the ropes and into a clothesline on the floor, which just looked, uh, I mean, was, was very inventive. Uh, Drake missed a cannonball going into the guardrail. And then there's a big dive by Allen onto Drake and Benoni. Uh, inside the ring, Drake misses a moonsault off the top. And then Allen bites his finger Code red off the turnbuckle and coffin drop for the victory. Good physical match. Uh, good showcase for both men. But, you know, for me, more more uh, curious to see J.D. Drake in a big singles match. And uh, seems like a good addition, addition to the roster. He seems like somebody who can, uh, you know, fit into the dark uh, and ele elevation rotation for the time being. But in a future time, uh, move into a pretty unique role. So he stands out. Yes, he's uh, w w one of the many additions, so we will see when we see him next. Uh, the Butcher and Blade then attack Darby uh, with Matt Hardy on the stage. The Bunny is screaming at the announcers to vacate the area so they can use the desk, but then the Dark Order runs out. Ty Conti goes after the Bunny, and uh, that was the end of that segment. And we are going to Darby Allen and Matt Hardy next week in a Falls Count Anywhere match, which, given these two... Together, uh, it's Matt Hardy. Uh, I'm slightly worried about this. I am too. Um, if this is not a cinematic match, which I don't think it will be, um, I guess you have to ask why. And I guess the why is so that they have, you know, just gimmicks to play around with and maybe interference from other people to be able to use. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see. Uh, there's a video package for the main event. They were really making a big deal that this is the first time Omega and the Young Bucks have been uh, on opposing sides in uh, on Dynamite, and the first time the Bucks are teaming with John Moxley. Marvez is interviewing Jericho when the Pinnacle jump him and take him out to the ring, and they proclaim the inner circle is nowhere to be found. They hit Jericho with a spike pile driver, and then we go backstage. And we go down the hallway. The door was locked. Way. There was like a beam of light at 9.30 at night coming through my window. It's like, thank you. Thank you for doing. The partners, the friends are incapacitated. They physically cannot get to the ring. And they went to the extent of explaining this for us. And then they broke through this door. This was an awesome scene. This was, a, this was great. Absolutely. This is all you want. This is all you want. Because your first question is, where the fuck's the inner circle? Guess what? We're going to answer where the fuck the inner circle is. This mm -hmm. was great. 
I I certainly wouldn't, you know, um, I'm not surprised at all that AEW would go to such lengths to explain a detail like this. Sometimes they think so hard about the details, they go on to explain things that I don't even ask for uh, answers to. But this was certainly one that... This was a logical one. This was one you had to explain. Yes, absolutely. Made the angle. I mean, you had to have a reason for Jericho being beaten down singularly. So, yeah, they sacrificed a door for this. Yeah, man, this was like... uh, That's a lot more than I could say about the Bugatti. That's right. Pain. Yeah. Yeah. This was like uh Quentin Rampage Jackson on that yes. Ultimate Fighter episode. <laughs> yes, it was. They set up a table on the floor and Wardlow with his uh million dollar brain and 13 cent body lifted up Jericho for a power bomb to the floor when out comes Mike Tyson. And he rips off his shirt and there is Sean Spears as Tyson unloads on him and then for probably the first time in his life, a takedown by Mike Tyson and then was just raining down shots. I don't know if any of them were landing, but Sean Spears was the was the pinata for Mike Tyson. Would you take that chance if you're Sean Spears? Oh, like, I'm, l- listen, oh. Tyson was being uh, I mean, he was just wailing away at like air on the on the ground. But that was fine. Uh, the inner circle finally come out. And then the big moment is Jericho and Tyson after. Uh, 11 years since Tyson popped him on Raw, they shook hands and then hugged. MJF is fuming. The The war is over between Jericho and Mike Tyson. Yeah, this is our, uh, the big Tyson appearance. And uh, I did not expect Tyson to get as physical as he did. But the man is in shape and he was not afraid to show it off. He looked incredible. Uh, I... I I reacted pretty big when I saw him, you know, starting to throw punches because um, that's what people want to see Tyson do. I mean, have we seen him get this physical? Like we've seen him, you know, throw the odd punch here and there, but not a barrage of punches like he gave Sean Spears here. I haven't seen his hands move this fast in a wrestling ring since he made that three count on Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 14. <laughs> that's it. You're right. When Austin won his first championship. Yes. Yeah, no, this was uh, cool. I, I'm I'm expecting an explanation for why Tyson and Jericho are suddenly working together. Um, but what do you think is the backstory here? Do you think Tyson was always a part of this, or was this a last-minute availability? that they Tony to Khan explained this. Like, he's been in contact with Tyson, but this only came together, like, last week. Hmm. Uh, they came up with the idea to come here. Um, I don't know. He's obviously going to be on next week's show, so he's staying for the tapings on Thursday. Um, and then beyond that... I have to imagine they still want to do a match with him. The question now is, is MJF that opponent? Is that your explanation that he's got some, um, that's the new opponent um, to do whenever, whether it's a, a pay-per-view or something down the road. If Let's just say you're going to get one match out of Mike Tyson. Is that a pay-per-view or is that better for television for what they are trying to accomplish? Oh, and without a doubt, it's pay-per-view. We're talking Mike Tyson here, one of the biggest pay-per-view names of all time. It's almost at the point now where, like, they might have so many things that they're able to, you know, give out. Like, and May is so far away, maybe you should just call an impromptu pay-per-view at some point, even though that's not really their style. And I probably think the logistics are probably not that easy to just call an impromptu pay-per-view. But, you know, can they hold this off till May? I guess they can if they wanted to, if they have Tyson. The pay-per-view is May 30th, I think. So it's a, yeah. like right at the end of May. Yeah, it's almost like two months. 
So that was the big segment uh, of the show. And then Shivani's with Britt Baker and Rebel. And Britt requests a women's championship match. But Shivani brings up that she's ranked fourth. So Baker calls the rankings bullshit. They should be based off of television ratings, merchandise sales, and uh, something else. And she's here to power. Star power. She is going to fix this broken system. And she's going to get her wins up on Dynamite, Dark, and Elevation. I think this is a great little story. You know, you have Britt Baker who, yeah, like by all accounts, I think he's probably the most recognized woman in the company right now. But yet she is ranked number four based off of wins and losses. Uh, And so her goal is to fix that by, you know, going through all the other shows to collect wins. Like she's, she's now on a little side quest outside of Dynamite. And it finally gives me some reason to want to watch Dark and Elevation to see a storyline followed through on Dynamite. I I like the little idea. Is, isn't she conceding at the end of this that wins and losses do matter? She has to go out and get wins? Pretty much, yeah. She's complaining about the system, but I guess she feels the need to, you know, win within it. She should explain through the logic of why Conor McGregor uh, is able to get... A title fight off of you know if if he beats Dustin Poirier, uh, if he loses to Dustin Poirier, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this guy still fights for a title. Nate Diaz could win his next fight against Leon Edwards and be fighting for the welterweight or lightweight title next. So there, there's plenty of ammunition for Britt Baker for future promos. What I want to know is what the hell's up with Thunder Rosa? She She's was the winner. NWA. She's on NWA Power. Right now. Well, she's just like disappeared completely. Like yeah. Radiohead who, song. Disappeared completely. Forget that one. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm assuming they'll pick that one up. Who knows like what was in the works, you know, at the time they booked that, that finish. But um, yeah, we haven't really heard from Dunder Rosa since that match. The Bunny and Ty Conti. Uh, Conti came out with minus one, Sheeta. Grayson, Uno, and Preston Vance, while the bunny had Matt Hardy, the butcher, and the blade out with her. Uh, there was this T-bone suplex that Ty Conti delivered, and then this pump knee in the corner. Uh, bunny then yanks her off the apron and hit this shotgun drop kick, nailing Conti into the rail. During the break, Conti makes her comeback, hits uh, Way's second favorite finisher, the Ty KO, for a two count. Bunny then nails Sheeta on the floor, grabbing her kendo stick, and behind Aubrey Edwards' back, nails Conti with the kendo stick. Sheeta then takes back the kendo stick, allowing Conti to land a superplex, and then hits, uh, rolls into Wei's number one favorite finisher, the DD tie for the victory. And Ty Conti, your number one contender, if the rankings mean anything. Really unnecessary with the names. I mean, the more and more you emphasize it, it's just like, it doesn't even rhyme, you know? You're just replacing the letter T with Ty. Um, I mean, how about, like, Thai food? <laughs> like, something that could that be her actually... version of soul food, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, maybe a Thai, thai one on. Like, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Thai restaurants. You're sick of restaurants, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Any, tie my shoes, Professor Kevin in the chat room. <laughs> he says it's a super kick. Tie my shoes. 
<laughs> anyway, she could do better than Didi Tai, I think. I thought this was an all right match. You know, I didn't love like all the bullshit in the finish, but I think this is a continued strong showcase for Ty Conti. Her confidence and personality are really coming through in ring. So I think she's been doing a great job of owning this airtime. I am like missing, I think, a bit of personality in her promo and her like more more just overall kind of character and, and maybe just a bit of story. It seems like they're building something between her and um, Sheeta where they're very close friends, but inevitably, inevitably have to face one another. So, um, yeah, we wait to see what happens. Is she actually with the Dark Order or is she just an acquaintance? She was, uh, she was Anna Jay's best friend, but I don't think they officially welcome have. She's an official member. You know, the Dark Order like statuses, I think, are very, um, they're very loose. I think with with who they can welcome in their clubhouse. I mean, I think Colt only recently became a member. Yeah, they're, um, you know, they're, they're open for business. Next week, this is what we've got: Young Bucks against Pack and Ray Phoenix for the tag titles. Darby Allen, Matt Hardy for the TNT title, Falls Count Anywhere, Anthony Agogo debuts, and Red Velvet will take on Jade Cargill. And they played a video package where Red Velvet said that Jade better be that bitch that gets the job done. Because that's what Jade could barely do in the tag match. She could barely get the job done. So this is a completely get the job done match. Well, you want to make sure. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, Chris Jericho, who will have Sammy Guevara in his corner, will take on Dax Harwood which, with Cash Wheeler in his corner. Mike Tyson is the special enforcer. All other members of the Pinnacle and Inner Circle are barred from ringside. So that will be the... You've got several big matches next week. Like the TNT title match is going to be probably a wild match. The tag title match is a huge one. And then you've got Tyson coming back for the enforcer role. Like the Tyson thing is, you know, continues to somewhat, um, you know, perplex me a bit because this like was at one time a gimmick for a WrestleMania main event, right? Having Mike Tyson as your special enforcer. And certainly it's something that I'm sure they would have liked to have saved for a pay-per-view, but it must be due to Tyson's schedule, I would think. Um, but even so, like, would this not be something that they should have considered saving? Or do they have something bigger in the works? I, I I would think like that's uh, I think Tyson is a special enforcer. I think that that's uh, I I think this is like a, a television event that you put it on, and I think like that's you know the their television is is of great great significance for them. So I, I think this is the the right call. Uh, then we had the main event of Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers against the Young Bucks and John Moxley. Don Callis is on commentary. Matt is struggling to fight with Kenny Omega. He has to tag in Nick, who is la- less apprehensive. There's a big triple dive spot by the baby faces. We went through the break. Moxley fires up with German suplexes to Omega and the Good Brothers. Then they build to a spot where Omega is dazed, and Matt just can't do it. He can't hit the super kick, and he gets slapped by Kenny, and then Matt goes after him. Matt gets hit with two snapdragons. And the V-Trigger gets stopped when Moxley saves Matt Jackson. So remember that. Saves him with a lariat. And Matt hits a pile driver onto Omega for a two count. Couldn't super kick him, but would drop him on his head. That was okay. I mean, reluctantly, you know. Oh, reluctantly. He also did, like, check on him after the lariat. Yes, he, like, Are he you did okay? do that. Yeah. 
They hit more bang for your buck. Anderson was in for the save. And Matt is still showing concern for Omega. Nick calls for the BTE trigger. Matt just can't do it. He's holding the wrist. He's like, no, no. Mox is getting pissed. He gets in. They try again for the BTE trigger. Again, Matt. Matt is gun shy. And Moxley then tags himself in. One paradigm shift to Omega. A second paradigm shift. Then he applies the rear naked choke. He's going for a third paradigm shift when the Bucks hit a double super kick to Moxley. The crowd is stunned. You can see that this is very much being like that they are that they are reluctant to do this, but would, would they would continue on here with their alliance. Eddie Kingston runs out. He gets laid out with a magic killer, and then another magic killer is delivered to Moxley as Kenny Omega pins him in 1656. And the Good Brothers are celebrating. The Bucks look torn. But in the end, Moxley is propped up onto his feet. And the Bucks hit another double super kick. And they all hug together. So you do go off the air with the idea that the Bucks are aligned with Kenny Omega. You know, the last two times uh, Kenny Omega fought the Young Bucks in a tag situation, they created two all-time classics you know both the golden lovers bucks match and uh page and omega versus the bucks were my matches of the year for both of their years so i had very high expectations coming into this uh not just for the in-ring but because of the storytelling and in this match you saw i think matt jackson and kenny omega again replicate some of those beats i thought it sucked this time it felt forced. It felt cliched. It was groan-inducing. And maybe it's because by this point, it feels like a gimmick that we've seen so many times. Perhaps because the groundwork and the story wasn't as strong. But I just felt like, like it was so forced. And the match was good. But, you know, maybe because of a TV, it's, the TV setting did not reach the standard of, of the previous encounters before getting into all these, you know, storyline things. Um I thought the finish was pretty groan-inducing too. You know, too much flip-flopping in a short amount of time for the Bucks. They were flirting with being heels, doing the two sweet the first week. Then they cemented themselves as baby faces, like what, just two weeks ago? And now they're heels again. You know, it feels like a bit of backtracking. It feels like a bit of kind of a, you know, too many like big show-like twists and turns that ultimately take me emotionally out of this story. Yeah, I just thought, like, I, I think Matt Jackson, like, when he is, like, doing, like, his heavy selling in matches, I think it's super effective. Uh, this was, like, a different, like, this was him having to act. And it just, to me, it was just too, like, I got it. It's, like, loud and clear. And I think, like, this could have gained a lot from, like, some more subtlety. And on the other contrast was... It almost seemed like the announcers were having like a mixed read on Nick, who his body language was like he was hardly having any hang up on attacking Kenny Omega. But at one point, Excalibur is trying to explain that both of them are torn. It was like, well, Matt is about to like have a, a medical issue because of this anxiety and Nick is like, let's finish the match. So I didn't even think that part was really coherent. So that when you do the end where they get together for the double super kick, it really didn't match like the body language because you had two extremes of Nick who just seemed 
completely out of it, which was the story last week. The story was Callus and Matt, where Nick just like took off and he really wasn't um, part of like this, uh, this story with, with Callus. Like he was not the one going through this like personal friendship crisis with Kenny Omega. So I, I thought like for, for tonight, I, I thought it kind of missed the mark in, in a big way. And by the end of it, you're right. I think it's, I think they're going to go to these stories where you're teasing the Bucks, but ultimately they, they will come out of it. But I, I would really be careful about doing that too often. I think you can get away with a lot when you're not necessarily in front of crowds and stuff, but I, I think you're putting a lot of the crowd that is actually going to, like it's going to be diminishing returns when you're doing these teases and then either not fully turning them or just thinking like we can flip back. This is a multi-layered story. Yeah, I hate that excuse. Yeah, um, it's a great excuse for like confusing story too. You know, the Fiend and Randy Orton has been a very multi-layered story as well. Uh, and I'm not saying that this is on that level. Like certainly the matches, I think will be tremendous. You know, no matter how you you want to slice it. But I I just think story wise, you know, everything with with the Bucks and has not been great this at this point. Um, I felt like they're, you know, if they were staying baby faces, I think lines were already just starting to become clear about who was on which side, what matches we were going to get. And immediately in the first match, they turn back. And I think it just simply confuses things again. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see next week how they follow up with it. Is there, like, just looking at this from, like, a potential, like, the positive of doing this is that I think it's a perfect program that you could extend to the pay-per-view of the Bucks against Moxley and Eddie Kingston and looking way down the line, like obviously a big, big story to, to go at some point is, is the story of like the elite, like this breakup. Is it more effective if eventually these guys are heels and hangman page is your one baby face that is going to take down Kenny Omega? Like, is there a long-term value to having the Bucks aligned with Kenny Omega um, and, and telling that story that, that down the road, that this is going to serve a better function with the Bucks' heels, even though in the immediate future, they, to me, contribute much more to this program as baby faces. Well, sure, yeah. Like having the story of Paige going by himself as the lone wolf going up against the rest of the elite as heels, I think that'd be great. But that this is not the time to tell that story. You had just embarked on, you know, uh, Bucks versus Kenny uh, and the Good Brothers. And to me, like, it almost felt like this week was a bit of a reset, um, you know, without seeing this Bucks babyface versus heel Kenny story through. But, man, next week, if it's another swerve, I think I don't think I'm going to feel any better about all this. Uh, so that was Dynamite. I wasn't surprised by it, but worth noting the fact that, you know, if ever there was a week that... You would have wanted a, an impact plug. This was it. And there was none. Oh, Thursday. yeah, because the match. Tomorrow's the debut and Kenny Omega's wrestling. You're right. Yeah, nothing. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, it's Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers against Rich Swan, Willie Mack, and Eddie Edwards. So that's the big match tomorrow. And I just don't... I just think impact's going to be this week. To, for a first week to establish the new night, I think you almost... Next week will be people's uh, reintroduction to Impact on Thursdays because I think it's going to be lost in the shuffle of everything tomorrow night, mainly TakeOver, but everything that's going on. Like, I just don't sense, like, Impact. When, when you move nights, 
Like part of it is that it's an excuse to really promote things, get some people out to do media and stuff. Like, dude, WWE, they have carpet bombed the media. Like there are interviews all over the place covering it. Like they have got their people out there doing everything imaginable. This week is only focused on WrestleMania. I just think it was a bad week to like hold it off to next Thursday. Um, do you think that they were aware of the takeover being on a, on the Thursday when they announced this date? You know, I mean, they, they only def- they made the announcement last week or yeah, two weeks right. ago. I think like they only announced it recently. That like, well, it wasn't a big lead time. I, I you know this Tuesday actually would have been a great week to have your last episode because you're only going up against the Hall of Fame. You know, which I think would have been easier competition to face and, you know, a, a chance to get the word out a, a little bit more for the next Thursday's debut. But debuting this Thursday against the TakeOver is going to be tough. There you go. That was uh, AEW Dynamite from Wednesday night, the final head-to-head night on Wednesdays. Are you going to miss it, John? Um, I won't. I won't. It's going to be easier to watch everything now. So that part, I mean, to me, it was like, it wasn't ever a big deal. Like I kind of had my routine where I would, you know, I'd do the show with you and then I'd watch NXT before I go to sleep and it was fine. It was not, I mean, God, there's still so many hours to watch. It's not like it becomes easier just because one moves to a different night. But I think ultimately it's, um, we, we could pace it better, you know, like to me, like NXT might be a Tuesday night or Wednesday afternoon watch for me now, you know, before, uh, uh, um, uh, dynamite and, uh, I'll appreciate not being spoiled, you know, for one show or the other. And I'm sure our friends at Up Next will probably appreciate the same. Well, let's go to some feedback. I want to see what uh, people had to say about tonight's show. Uh, The show got a 7.4 out of 10 from the forum. Noah writes, a step down from last week's show, but a good show tonight. The Jericho promo was one of his best in years. I'm so excited for the Blood and Guts match. And with the U.S. having vaccines available for anyone that wants one by April 19th, I'd imagine by May 5th, when that match takes place, there will be a pretty large crowd on hand to watch that take place. And I'm glad to see Ty Conti continued to get a spotlight. She was great tonight. Next week's show looks stacked. What are your predictions as to what type of viewership demo they should do now that they aren't head-to-head with NXT? Um, it's a good question. I think like if you look back at the... Uh, the Tuesday numbers when they they tried out the experiment back in uh, the summer, what we saw was that AEW, uh, they're, I actually have the numbers right here, like they going on Wednesdays unopposed for those two weeks, AEW went up uh, 12% in their demo and 17% in, in viewership. So, I mean, I'm looking for like comparable numbers and next week's show, they are building it up for a big show, which was very smart. I think you're going to have people that are maybe exclusive NXT viewers or they're ones that were flipping back and forth that all of a sudden now Wednesday, it's there's two hours of wrestling. Maybe I'm going to give this more of a shot. And you're giving people a pretty loaded show to sample the AEW product next week. So I think they're certainly being very aggressive to try and get any of that crossover audience and, as well, like I mentioned before, the over 50 audience that NXT has dominated that demo, is that audience more inclined to seek out another night of wrestling now that their preferred product of NXT is not uh, hampering them from sampling AEW? Yeah, we'll find out. Or will they not watch altogether? Th- they might. I mean, some people might believe in this thing like a night off and not want to watch wrestling after w- what is going to be... Uh, five hours of WWE 
in the span of 48 hours every Monday and Tuesday. What is that loyalty to the WWE going to look like? You know, will it be similar to like the loyalty people had to WCW? And that way, it wasn't like everybody jumped to Raw. Do, do you see any kind of um, just of the, the wrestling fan that is following a lot of this that just like Tuesday night, there's a lot of wrestling, but I wouldn't say and impact included. I wouldn't say it's like must see for every single wrestling fan every week. Now you have NXT that I wouldn't say it's like it's not going to obviously do anywhere in the neighborhood of Raw, but after two nights, do you sense like any kind of like a burnout that dynamite, like there's any kind of negative to this for AEW? Um, uh, burnout. Um, no, because I think you know by this point AEW has certainly amassed their own audience. Um, that looks forward to Wednesday more so than the others. Uh, I I think as long as your show is good, I don't think burnout will be that much of a factor. Certainly, like if anything. The people's the the show suffering from burnout the most will probably be Raw and SmackDown. Like people are going to make ta- time for the shows that are good. Uh, I think people are going to be more willing to cut out of their schedule an hour or two of Raw than two hours of Dynamite. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I think what you're going to see is increases for both. I see more of an increase for for NXT being on, on Tuesday. I think they are going to going to benefit greatly from being on, on Tuesday. Let's go to Nick from Boston who says, I had Dynamite on a split screen with TakeOver, so I caught the show in bits and pieces, but it felt like a mixed bag. From what I could tell, there were some pretty strange storytelling beats in this episode. Why is Tyson suddenly coming to Jericho's aid? Britt being pushed into the title conversation is a bit odd, considering she lost the match with Thunder Rosa, whom we haven't seen since. Somebody in the chat room did inform me that was an unsanctioned match, so technically not, not on anybody's record and no. therefore having no bearing. Um, the Young Bucks being conflicted about hitting Omega with the Golden Trigger was bizarre. They've dealt out worse damage to him in prior matches when Kenny was still a face and have been antagonized by Callus for a week, so why would they feel compelled to join him? It just seems super abrupt. I trust AEW enough to do a decent job explaining all of this, but the narratives of the show felt disjointed for the sake of creating viral moments. On the plus side, Jericho cut one of the best promos of his career, and I'm continuing to love the Darby Allen Open Challenge. And we'll end off here with Bruce, a fun enough show dominated by mid-card matches and main event angles. J.D. Drake has had some great matches on Dark recently, and I thought he was a perfect foil for Darby. Ty Conti's really improved her stock on Dark and has flourished in the spot afforded by Anna Jay's absence. I know some people aren't taken with just how many moving parts there are in the Bucks Omega Mox story, but I like the way it's drawing upon so many years of history and different feuds and friendships which have run through different promotions. I've enjoyed Callus as the devil whispering in the Bucks' ears and slowly undermining their confidence, and conversely Kingston once again coming out to try to protect Moxley after trying to destroy him a few months ago. It makes for a nice redemption story and is almost enough to make me forget about the fizzling fireworks. That said, given that we're still nearly two months away from the next pay-per-view and presumably Omega's next title defense, should Darby be facing some slightly higher profile opponents to give the TNT title some extra prestige until then? Well, I mean, you're getting Matt Hardy next week. So that's, I mean, um, a a step up from like uh, a relative unknown in, in J.D. Drake on Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. And I see them trying to replicate in a way like the... You know, Cody's open challenge and that like the TNT title is there as much to profile some of your unknown talents and maybe brand new talents as it is to, you know, make your champion look impressive. But I'm sure in the weeks to come, you'll get a scattered, you know, selection of different guys. But uh, thank you, everybody, for your feedback. And thank you, yes. chat room, for uh, being here. Um, I want to especially thank UPS Sean for providing a 
point of view of what it's like to be a UPS driver at this hour. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you're watching on the on the Zoom call, John, in gallery view. But uh, thank you, Sean. It's be safe out there. Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, stay safe. Uh, we are going to wrap up the show. Uh, I've got Takeover to watch now, and uh, we are hey, going to check be out back. check out John's uh, update on the Patreon today. Yes, it is up there for Cafe members. Uh, we'll have another one up on Thursday. And uh, also on Thursday, I'm going to do a chat with uh, John Elba, a uh, reporter with Spectrum Sports 360. He is in Tampa for WrestleMania week. So I'm going to talk to him about uh, covering WrestleMania week down there in Tampa. And way we will be back Friday night with Rewind to SmackDown. We'll be live at 1015 Eastern. And for this weekend, we will be live uh, starting Friday. We'll be live four straight nights. So rewind to SmackDown on Friday, then Saturday night, right after WrestleMania for double, double ice cap and espresso patrons Sunday after WrestleMania live for all patrons. So that will be the schedule for the weekend and then rewind to raw on Monday. So there's a lot to catch up on. You can go check the feed both on the post wrestling cafe and the regular post wrestling feed and lots to come. Lots and lots and lots of shows to watch. This week is nuts, dude. It's crazy. Are, are we going to get around to the Champion Carnival on Friday? The Cinderella Tournament on Saturday? UFC? Uh, Bellator? Yeah, um, you know, um, I'm going to have to um, check with my um, schedule um, and see if I have time. But uh, I, what I will have time for, of course, is up next... Covering tonight's edition of Stand and Deliver. Uh, join those guys on their Twitch as they're watching everything along this entire week, including SmackDown, including WrestleMania. Uh, and join them for their tailgate party, WrestleMania weekend. So all of that uh, with our friends at Up Next. Yes, and uh, well, I'm definitely going to see TakeOver. And hopefully by a Friday night show, maybe we can chat about Bloodsport if you get a chance to see it. I'm going to do my best to uh, to watch it. That's on Thursday night. So when is spring break? Spring break is Friday night head to head with SmackDown. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that one we will uh, that might, not that be one, able to that watch. That one might be a bit tougher. Friday night. Yeah. 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 But anyway, that is all coming up. Postwrestling.com. Uh, follow at uh, postwrestling.com slash mania. Mania. There yes. we go. For all of your uh, show guides and matches for the week to come. And that's it. Good night.